Well, praise God. And welcome back to uh, Lesson 4 in our Sermon on the Mount uh, series. I was thinking uh, last week that it was only a three-part series. However, it's a nine-part series. Praise God. So we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Blessed are the humble this morning. Well, I know that we're just, just less than, what, a week and a half, maybe, until the election. People keep saying to me, you know, what, are, what, what do you think? And I keep saying, I think that God is still in control. You know, I always start my sermons this way, or my messages, or our study group this way. You know, Jesus is before us. Jesus is behind us always beside us, and we are constantly surrounded by God. Glory to Jesus. You're listening to Spiritual Awareness with Pastor Davenport. And if you're new to our broadcast, we are an Arizona 501c3, a nonprofit prayer ministry. We're just one part of Pastor Davenport Ministries, a spirit-filled, Bible-believing beacon of light, a non-denominational ministry serving the Lord Jesus Christ, both from Gospel of Faith Church in Ash Fork, Arizona, as well as from the brand new worldwide broadcast studio here in Fort Mojave, Arizona. And we want to welcome you to this broadcast. We are now reaching out to Ireland, to UK, Germany, Japan, Korea, South Africa, and have just picked up New Zealand. We're happy to welcome you as our listeners today. Welcome in Jesus' name. Again, I'm Pastor Davenport, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast, where twice every week I present an exciting new message from God's Word usually exploring the true meaning of spiritual awareness for today's churches and how it affects us in today's world, especially in America and what's going on around us today. You see, I believe that God has a spiritual awakening for all of us as Christians and for those in the world's churches once they open back up. And I pray they would open soon. So I pray that you would hold on as we embark on this brand new journey together in God's holy word. Would you take a moment and let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord God, during this time of turmoil, this political turmoil in our country and many around the world looking to see what's going to happen here in America. And I pray, Lord God, that as we approach this November 3rd election, that, Father, people would start concentrating back on God because we know that God is in control. And look, look, yes, pray fast and then vote your heart. But by all means, let others pray fast and vote their heart and respect their wishes as well. We praise you, Lord God, for all that you do for all of us, Lord God, for the, for the time that we have, Lord, that we can just come to you in prayer and in repentance of our sin. And we know, know through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will be forgiven of that sin. We ask, Lord God, those that are sick of COVID, those that are sick of whatever ailment there may be, uh, cancer, heart problems, diabetes, whatever it may be, Lord God, that you would just lay a hand upon them this morning, as it said in, in Scripture, Lord, and by the authority of Jesus's own word, they can be healed. And we pray that healing upon them this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Before I start this morning's message on blessed are the humble, I have a couple of announcements I'd like to say right after the prayer. 
One is, as you know, many of you, I, I've worked with the homeless for many, many years, and I'm going to be starting up a, a homeless drive for, for sleeping bags and, and uh, jackets and backpacks, stuff like that. Uh, obviously, you can't send them to me here at, at the broadcast studio. However, any donations, if you send them into spiritual awareness, all one word, spiritual awareness, uh, net on that program, you'll see the email address, spiritualawareness777 at gmail.com. Or you, you can go to the website and make a donation to the PayPal account. Now, it's, you don't have to be in PayPal. You can just put donate now and you won't have to be in PayPal. Uh, we need that. Christmas is coming. Winter is coming. And the homeless are in dire need of sleeping bags. Uh, usually I can pick them up at Walmart for, for $10, $11. Uh, if you can make that donation, market homeless, please. Market homeless so we know that that's what it's going for. And we're going to be doing that drive here shortly, uh, starting November 1st. It, the other thing that I wanted to say to you is... Uh, is that uh, I I ended last week's sermon uh, thinking that was the end of the series, but here we are. Uh, we've got a nine-part series going, and, and praise God, I hope you'll stick with us for it. With that, let's uh, get into the Word of God. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That means humble. One discovery found in the Sermon on the Mount was an uh, arresting observation made by a man named Greg Keener in his commentary on Matthew. He was giving reference to the fact that most Christians who are serious in their commitment are generally found in countries that have less affluence. Nations like Nepal, Guatemala, Kenya, and China are often much more prepared to make sacrifices for their faith than Christians in Western nations. Keener also noted that he had witnessed students in foreign nations abroad who came from very poor homes and were willing to give much sacrifice to attend Bible schools where Bible college curriculum was offered. These students were more apt to follow the call of Jesus Christ and accept the blessings they required in the physical and the material realm because they didn't have everything that everyone else had. The kingdom of God, the principles, if they can be interwoven into the mind and the transformation of the soul, will cause a great spiritual hunger for God. And I see that with new converts, people who have accepted Christ at some of the, the, the revivals and some of, uh, of the great crusades. They were on fire for Jesus and it puts such a spiritual hunger for God and the promises that came with his word. And as you read through the, the Beatitudes, it's clear that there is a, a very ordered manner of development that takes place in spirituality. A poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We are brought to clear picture that we literally have, are nothing and entirely insufficient to provide for our own salvation in any way. No man comes to the Father save through the Son. And the unworthiness of who you are or who I am, it are removed. It removes all pretense and self-confidence in the kingdom of God. It's us and God. And we can't get to God through Jesus Christ. We have to go through Jesus Christ. Excuse me. 
We must go through Jesus to get to God. A mourning over our lost condition. Again, there is a great sorrow for the terrible actions that our sin takes against God. If a person can ever grasp the fact that their sin is literally against God, it'll create a Romans 6 mentality that states, I must kill this sin. Sin is too easy to, to do and, and too, too, uh, too easy to, to just let go of. Oh, I'm forgiven. Amen. Go on. Do it again. That's not how it works. When we begin to look at the church and consider whether it has been blessed, we shouldn't look at the facilities or the programs or the great cathedrals or the stained glass window or the dynamics which it operates in. We should rather look at the attitudes that are expressed by the people within the body of Christ. Those people who attend that church. The mark of the Lord's blessing is whether the character traits listed in the Sermon on the Mount are present in the lives of those Believers who attend, that's a mighty goal and a mighty accomplishment of any church who can say that God has brought that level of spiritual maturity into the lives of the people who attend. The scripture says, blessed are the humble. This kind of character trait moved in, a, in an entire different direction of what the spiritual leaders of Jesus' time demonstrated. They were, they were proud of their standing in society. They were proud of the religious pedigree and educational attainments. They, they had come to have confidence in. The Messiah was coming to set, it up, set up a kingdom that, that made provisions of victory in an area that Jews did not expect. They wanted relief from the Roman oppression, and their desperation pushed them to desire a human leader who would give them political, military, and economic power over Rome and its Caesars. Early, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, even the disciples found a hunger over an earthly kingdom to, to shrug off the control of the Romans. But the, but the Lord had been quick to tell them, My kingdom is not of this world. John chapter 18, verse 36. It is not of this world. And when you look closely at the gospel, it is very rare that one will find Jesus being very concerned about the political situation of the Roman and the Jewish governments. Are you listening to that? We as Christians should be like Jesus, being very, very, not very concerned about the political situation that's going on in the world right now around us. That's because we should be concentrating on the heavenly realm, not the earthly bound realm. We are not of this world. This was a source of frustration to many, and some even believed that the reason Judas betrayed Jesus was because he understood that the Lord's purpose was not earthly kingdoms, but the heavenly kingdom. Jesus fully demonstrated the concept of meekness in his presentation at, as a servant. In Isaiah 40 and 66, gives a picture of the Savior who was a servant. Isaiah 53 and 61 moves one in seeing meekness that would be defined by the coming Messiah. Through this concept of meekness, we can pair up the actions of mourning over the condition of our sin in our lives prior to the salvation and the meekness that does not allow any confidence in self to rise up. And once this kingdom principles were seen for what they were, the religious leaders of the day fought against such an idea. 
And we can see that once the true spiritual nature of the kingdom dawned on them, the roots of their hostility toward the Lord began to grow deep. So what is meekness? Define meekness, Pastor Davenport. Define meekness. The word meek means to be humble. Glory to God. To be gentle. To be patient. To be kind. Or with a spirit of humility. And one way to gain some insight into what this trait that Jesus was saying would be, blessed is to, is to see the absolute opposite of meekness. Its opposite is pride, stubbornness, fierceness, vengefulness, self-will towards God, and ill will towards men. The actions of this man would be seen as su uh, submissive to the will of God in such a way that reflects a graciousness about the way he conducts himself. A meek person is one who refuses to retaliate, is not mirrored in selfishness, does not em emphasize their rights or the rightful position and will not exalt themselves. If a saint, a church, or a ministry is to be approved by God, Romans 14, 18, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, 2 Corinthians 10, 18, and Galatians 1, 10, and 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, meekness will bring it a long way. The attitude needs to get a, a grip on the entire church. From the youngest to the eldest. The king of the hill mentality will literally choke out what the Lord desires to do in a world through his church. It should grieve us and bring us to a point of repentance when we see the kind of attitude displayed by others. And certainly from ourselves, no amount of religious pedigree, academic accomplishment, or profit success gives any a right to claim even a bit of accomplishment for what some may see as moving the church forward to a place of success. There must be a clear understanding that the Lord is the one who is building his church, Matthew 16 and 18. Meekness is not weakness, but very much under the control of the Spirit of God. The meek man will give up his own rights to do the will of God. This quality is at the very root of the life that will produce the fruit of the Spirit. This man can very well see his utter ruin and is aware that outside of the grace of God, he cannot be saved. A meek man will not hold on to grudges and offenses that have come into direction. Furthermore, meekness is not to be understood as apathy, laziness, or intolerance. There are some who would profess meekness when, in fact, they are lazy as a servant of the Lord. Meekness ushers in a great peace into the lives of those who hold it. Peace in our cities. Peace in our nation. It's a great blessing to have peace, tranquility. But even greater is the blessing is when there can be a realm of peace within our churches. The man who seeks after meekness will find himself searching for a way to make sure that peace is present in his life, or his or her home, and in his or her inner world. Those who do not have meekness in their heart often have great turbulence of mind and of spirit. One of the notable mo moments in life 
of David is when he was under a burden of the sin of adultery and murder. Their development of severity about him that he put on the Amorites under saws of harrows of iron and made them pass the Bricklands, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 31. That is what takes place in the soul that harbors evil matters. Meekness of humility literally falls to the wayside. One of the old standbys of personal Bible study in the, in the Naves tropical, uh, tropical Bible in the years past, many older saints and the ministers would use this tool to help them to home in on the particular biblical topic. While it was not an exhaustive reference tool, there are many benefits that Naves has. It helps align our thoughts and helps patterns in living out our Christian lives. One of the ways that Orville Nave would explain the topic would be to gather all the various scriptures on the topic and then place them into categories. If you own a Thompson Kane reference Bible, you may look in the back and find a topical reference section that is very useful, but it is limited because of the pages that would be required to, to be more extensive than it is. Orville Nail expanded greatly on what the Thompson reference system does. He would cover the topic and allow the scriptures to be placed in the manner that would a good definition would be given. Then he would move into a segment where he would write that topic would be ex exemplified, meaning that he would provide examples of this topic. The following is an example of the meekness. They are given in conditions that we can see what what we should implement in our lives. Abraham, generation, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Genesis 13, verse 8, giving Lot the choice of the very best land. Isaiah, or excuse me, Isaac, in, in, in uh, Genesis 26, 20 through 22, the herders of Gerar fighting with Isaac over wells. He relented and gave it to them. Moses, Exodus 2, 13, 14, 13, 14, 15, 24, 16, 7, 8, and 17, 2, Numbers 12 and 3, and 16, and 4 through 11. Multiple examples of his actions of meekness. Gideon in Judges 8, chapter 2, uh, 8, verse 2 and 3, appeasing the Infrarites. There's many, many, many more that we can, we can put down. Like Paul in Acts chapter 20. 1, verse 20 through 26, multiple examples of Paul's virtue of meekness. In most situations, meekness is, bought, uh, is brought on by challenges that face us. Generally, it is the developed in places where we may feel a lot of pressure and discomfort that comes with our own spiritual growth. It is like a child who complains a great pain in their legs when they are enduring growth spurts. The growth is necessary, but the pain is the part of and often a sign of their growth. Joseph refused to avenge himself despite the way that his brothers treated him. David's refusal to attack Saul is a great example of a man who has control over his spirit despite what his surrounding conditions and even his advisors were willing to, him to do. He demonstrated it again when Shimei was cursing him. The opposite of meekness, an enthusiast of meekness is pride. As a spirit of God, we must do everything within our power, obviously walking in the spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, to eradicate the presence of pride in our lives. There's a great danger in a life that allows 
the entrance of pride to come in. Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher of the 17th century, had some stirring words scattered throughout his sermons concerning the doves, says Pliny, take pride in their feathers and in their flying high. At last they fly so high that they are prey unto the hawk. Men fly so high in pride that they, at last they are prey to the devil, the prince of the air, from a godly man's portrait. The proud man is the mark which God shoots at, and he never misses that mark. He threw proud Lucifer out of heaven. He thrust proud Nebuchadnezzar out of his throne and turned him into it to eat grass. Oh, let us search. If there is none of this leaven of pride in us, man is a natural, a, a proud piece of flesh. This sin runs in the blood of every man, woman, and child. Our first parents fell by their pride. They aspired to be a deity. There are the seeds of this in the best of us. But the godly do not allow themselves in it. They strive to kill this weed by mortification. If you want to see a time in scripture where the lack of humanity, humanity was destructive, then a powerful example is found in 2 Chronicles 26. This is the case of Isaiah who usurped his proper place in the role of civil and political and spiritual authority. Perhaps the scripture that should send a clear warning to us is in 2 Chronicles 26 verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. All the verses prior to this one tells us of this great accomplishment. He was a man who had the right spirit and operated in the correct way, but it was when he reached what many would believe to be the principle or the pinnacle of power that he faltered. His accomplishments exposed him to a certain amount of cares and responsibility that his success brought to him. He was foolish to believe that his own wisdom and strength had led him to this place. While he would enjoy such a place of temptation and luxury of his bearing brought him to a place that he believed he could usurp the position of priest, God in his grace always, always, puts up barriers that men must force their ways through on their way to ruin. Here's some of the boundaries that could not hold Isaiah back. He had a discard of the commandments of the Lord that only allowed for a priest to offer incense. He had discarded the instruction he had received as a child and a young man concerning the majesty and the order of the temple. He had discarded, uh, excuse me, the sacred, so he could seemingly advance the secular. He had discarded the, the holiness of the nation that was supposed to honor God. He had dis, discret, discarded the character traits that had brought him to this place, traits such as diligence, caution, discretion, and temperance. He had discarded the, the thought in the back of his mind that the judgment of God would be something he would have to contend with. All, mo all those matters seem to be the undoing of Uzziah. It is important that all who are among the faithful take heed and make the necessary adjustments if these matters are problems in your life. Before moving to the next section, one may ask what matters of traits are evident in the life of those who are on the border and allowing pride to take the upper hand? 
What follows? What follows are simple from symptoms that need to be addressed in the spiritual matter. Harshness. If there seems to be an underlying meaning of spirit in the way that others are treated, that does not make room for gentleness in the treatment of others. Care must be taken. Grasping. If there is a jockeying for position whose attitude is always one that seemingly works to push itself to the front, make room for that correction. If your actions do not take into the consideration what may happen to others, address that problem. Vengefulness. If you are one who keeps score and makes sure that you settle things in the end, watch your path. If people are afraid to address the issues in your life because of the explosion that might take place, submission to the cross is needed. Uncontrollable. If there are passions, rages, or cravings that fill your soul, a spiritual in in inventory needs to be taken. These have at the root a problem of pride, an absence of meekness and humility. We are the spirit-filled and the spirit-controlled. Therefore, our pursuit of holiness, these matters need to be carefully dealt with. Yet, a great danger for any man or woman is to fall into the trap of behavior modification with a true work of the spirit. This is called legalism. And at some point, if your life is only rule-driven, then not spirit-led, the great calamity will be in store for the future. See, God's methods for meekness are how we get there. The question arises as to the matter of godly character and kingdom attitudes in the Sermon on the Mount and how they are developed. The sovereignty of God is always at, at work in our lives. And there are situations that he places us in to develop the sense of meekness in our lives. It will come from the place of a challenge. Moses who is identified in scripture as the meek, meekest man on earth, Numbers 12 and 3. He was challenged by his own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, questioned his calling, and, and Moses could have reacted with a seemingly rightful anger, but chose not to act in any way. He simply deferred to them, and in the end, God elevated him to the rightful place. Miriam was stricken with leprosy and had to endure the shame of the sickness and it was Aaron who begged for Moses to forgive them. When we, were, when we are challenged, especially in the areas of ministry, sometimes the, the best thing to do is to respond in a humble way. It will come at place that involves a crown. Jonathan, who was Saul's son, immediately recognized the calling of the anointing on the life of his best friend, David. He was aware that David was uniquely gifted to lead in a way that he could not. Even though it meant that he had to relinquish his rightful position for the crown, he did so willingly. This is a model of meekness. It can be hard matter to make a choice and then live it out. But when the purpose of God is carefully sought out, the picture will be very clear as to what choices we should make. It will come from a place that is, involves cursing. David's fight for Jerusalem when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom brought him in contact with a man named Shimei, a ben Benjamin, which was the same tribe that Saul was from. He humiliated David and cursing and throwing rocks at him. Abishai, one of David's trusted mighty men, offered to behead him. But David restrained him in, in a spirit of meekness. 
Meekness always rises above retaliation and vengeance. When we are, allow the Lord to be the one who takes care of these things, these kind of matters in our lives, it always works out best for us. It will come from a place of crucifixion. The example we notice that the Lord, Jesus Christ, there is the will of God that we must, must accept. It is often through suffering that we realize that God is capably working in our, our behalf to do his bidding. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. It is a powerful witness to how meekness is displayed. Who, when he was revived, reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judge, judgeth righteously. There are seven principles to consider concerning whether true humility is at work in our soul. These points are developed from Thomas Watson's book on the Beatitudes. First, a humble man or woman has been weaned from himself, Psalms 131.2. He or she has lost that sense of preoccupation with self. Self is nothing, and the Lord becomes our portion, Galatians 2.20, Philippians 1.21. Secondly, a humble man or woman will lead into, into uh, treasuring Christ, always treasuring Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and knowing that one day we will be transformed into his image, praise God. And third, a humble man or woman allows complaint to be afar from him or her, no matter how bad his or her defined set of circumstances may be. When a humble person suffers for the sake of the Lord, he does not complain or she does not complain, nor does he or she insist that his, his or her state is unfair. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, Romans 8 and 17 and 18. Fourth, a humble, manner, a humble person can see the strengths and virtues of others as well as their own meekness and sins. Philippians 2 and 3, Romans 12 and 10. And fifth, <coughs> forgive me. Fifth, a humble man or woman spends time in prayer. They are like a beggar seeking food, but instead they seek their seeked needs being met by God. There is a, they are like Jacob wrestling with the angel. Sixth, a humble person takes the Lord on his terms, not their own terms. They will not attempt to take the Lord in, in pride, pleasure, position, and sin. Watson once wrote, a castle that has a long been besieged and is ready to be taken will deliver up on any terms to save their lives. He whose heart has been garrison of the devil and has held out long in opposition against Christ, when once God has brought him to the poverty of the spirit and he or she sees themselves damned without Christ, let God propound what articles he will. <coughs> he will readily subscribe to them. Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Lord, what will thou have me do? And seventh and final in conclusion, seventh, a humble person will praise and thank God for God's grace. Gratitude is one of the highest marks of evidence that will prove a man or a woman is a true, true believer of God. He or she is aware that every blessing, happiness, 
break and opportunity has only been delivered by the grace of Almighty God. There are the kingdom principles that the Lord desires to, to develop in his church and develop a gospel of faith church and in this broadcast. I pray that you would join with us in our 11 o'clock prayer each day as we go forth in a spirit, in a spirit of meekness, in a spirit of humbleness, in a spirit marked with God. Well, praise the Lord. If you're listening to us on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple, Pocket Podcasts, RadioPublic.com, Spotify, CastBox, or Overcast, boy, is that a mouthful there. If you're listening to us on one of those venues and you'd like to join with us, uh, again, um, Spiritual Awareness uh, with Pastor Davenport, this, the entire team of Spiritual Awareness, we are going to be doing a kind of a, a fundraiser to buy or purchase uh, sleeping bags, uh, camping equipment uh, for tents. We got winter coming on. Um, we're down here on the river, uh, and we'd like to be able to send out uh, to the homeless of Kingman, uh, Lake Havasu, um, and Bullhead City, this area here, uh, wherever we can reach, uh, sleeping bags, tents, uh, stuff that they can use that are homeless, uh, and be able to give them something to uh, keep them warm. And um, so we're asking our listeners worldwide, if you could go to our website at, at uh, spiritual awareness, all one word, spiritualawareness.net, get on there. Uh, we've, you'll see our Donate Now uh, page. And when you do, just put in for homeless uh, on there. Uh, and then your email, whatever your information, but put please put for homeless on there and that will direct that money directly to buying sleeping bags, jackets, uh, camping equipment, uh, like tents, stuff like that. Uh, it does get cold here. You may not think so. <laughs> and Bullhead City seems to be the devil's own campground, but it does get cold in Bullhead City, uh, especially up in Kingman uh, and some there in Havasu. So uh, we'd like to be able to provide uh, sleeping bags. I've done this for uh, many of the, the uh, resource uh, outlets. I provide them with sleeping bags. Uh, usually, you know, I give them out. Um, usually I can go to Walmart and buy them for like $9 a piece. Sometimes I get a good deal on them. So if you can do that, uh, $2, $5, $10, whatever you do, uh, just go on there. If you want to send a check, there's an address there you can send a check to. Uh, I know that this uh, this series is kind of dry, uh, but we are getting through the Sermon of the Mount series. Uh, it is a nine-part series, and um, uh, I think that's our fourth one we've gone through today. Uh, so I hope that you'll stick with us and get through it. Um, we'll try to liven it up where we can. Uh, it is a dry series because it's on the Sermon on the Mount. It was a very important uh, sermon message that, that Christ gave to the people. I think it's important for us to learn, especially during this time, uh, of this this uh, political uproar, I guess is what you call it. <laughs> anyway, uh, with that, may I say, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you. Join with me at the 11 o'clock prayer, if you will. God bless you all. We love each and every one of you. <laughs>